This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for this story that we hear afresh today. I pray that you would help us to hear what you want to say to us through it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I wonder, do you have a mental picture of the Virgin Mary? Perhaps it's one you have from seeing one of the great works of art that depicts the Madonna and child. Or maybe it is of a young woman who seems so perfect, so, so tranquil and serene. While we cannot know what Mary looked like, and I dare say she was not always wearing blue, as uh, is often depicted, I suspect that many of the images that people have of Mary are somewhat removed from reality. We don't know a lot about her except that she was a virgin and that she was engaged to be married. We don't know how old she was when she became pregnant. But scholars tell us she was probably pretty young, probably a teenager, maybe 14 or 15. It was common in those days for young girls to be betrothed in marriage. And St. Luke tells us that God sent the angel Gabriel to go and talk with Mary. Mary, this girl, who it would seem was a fairly ordinary Palestinian Jewish girl from a not very prominent family in a rather nondescript town. I, I always think of Nazareth being a bit like, I don't know, Breezewood. Um, actually, I've been to Nazareth, and it's nothing like Breezewood. But, you know, it wasn't something that was on the map. That was the God. That was the girl God chose. I don't know how every teenage girl might respond if an angel appeared to her, but I think most of the girls I know would completely freak out. Actually, that's how people of all ages tend to react when they encounter an angel. Mary's uncle, Zachariah, was absolutely terrified when an angel appeared to him to tell him that his elderly wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a baby. Well, unlike young Mary, old Zachariah rather foolishly doubted the angel and was struck dumb until after his son, who turned out to be Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was born. Well, back to Mary, who apparently didn't immediately freak out when the angel Gabriel appeared. Now, one might suppose that the angel's opening line, greetings favored one, would change that. I think Luke is the master of understatement. Here he tells us that Mary was, and I quote, much perplexed by the angel's words. Well, I should think she was. Gabriel then says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And at this point, it seems clear to me that angels must have a very different fear threshold from people. The reassuring words Gabriel then says to Mary to make sure that she's not afraid are, you're going to have a baby. Wow. If I'd been Mary, I'd be thinking, if that's what being in God's favor 
looks like, I can't imagine what it would mean to be out of his favor. But of course, being in God's favor doesn't mean what we might think it means. To be the recipient of God's wonderful love and grace doesn't mean we can expect there for a life of comfort or a life without suffering. Being in God's favor might not even be so much about us at all. As Jess reminded us last Sunday, as Christians, we are like the, the best men or maids of honor who always point to someone else. They always point to the groom. And in the illustration from John the Baptist, that groom, of course, is Jesus. And as John said, he, that is Jesus, must increase and we must decrease. Even when circumstances are hard, even when decreasing may be painful or hurtful or costly. Well, for Mary, the favor of God turned out to be an invitation to participate in what God was doing. That invitation was for her to play her part in God's great rescue plan for the world. For that is what this is all about. The name, the very name that the angel told Mary her baby was to have makes this clear. The name Jesus means literally, boys, do you know? We have four boys on the front row. What does the name Jesus mean? That's okay if you don't know. Savior. It means savior, hence the rescue plan. Jesus means savior. The child that Mary was to bear. Sorry, I shouldn't have picked on you. I won't pick on you again. But don't go to sleep. Not that you were. Okay. The child Mary was to bear was the very son of God who had come to save us. And so I wonder, in what part of God's ongoing drama might God be calling you to participate? That God should entrust us with any task, any responsibility, any sharing in his work is frankly a mystery. And yet he does. Some among us are called to participate in God's work in maybe your homes as you bring up your children or as you care for those who may be sick or elderly. Some in our congregation participate in God's work of healing and compassion in our hospitals, clinics, residential homes all over the city. Some participate in God's work of justice through your vocations as lawyers in law enforcement or in advocacy. There is no shortage of ways in which God calls us to participate in what he is doing today. Sometimes participating with God brings great joy. Sometimes it can be a sharing in his sufferings. Of course, rescue operations by their very nature are high-risk hazardous affairs. To be invited to participate in God's plans is very often a costly business. For Mary, it meant she would have to live with the stigma that no doubt surrounded her pregnancy, and likely for a very long time. Mary had to stand and watch her son grow up and be rejected, despised, and brutally executed. And yet she was favored. Certainly, she was privileged to spend more time with the Son of God than perhaps any other human being. She was privileged to have been trusted by God 
with the responsibility that came with that task. Well, returning, if I may, to her encounter with the angel Gabriel, there are three things that I want us to notice. First, Mary had fears and doubts. She was perplexed. Of course she was. That's how people are very often when they encounter God. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to wonder. But let your doubts lead you to honest questions and searching. Sadly, some people, when they have doubts about God, they don't even stop to take another look. Rather than responding with curiosity, they retreat, they withdraw, they, they close down. Well, second, uh, Mary's initial doubts led her to engage, to ask questions. When the angel Gabriel tells her that she's to have a child, she says, well, how can this be? She was unmarried. She'd not been with Joseph or anyone else. Well, the angel explains that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and that is how she will conceive. Now, I have to add, um, asking questions doesn't mean necessarily that we'll get answers that we might have hoped for or that will fully satisfy our curiosity. The angel answered Mary's question. But that doesn't mean she could have explained the virgin birth to you or to me. So Mary had doubts. Mary had questions. And third, Mary had faith. She trusted God. She took him at his word and acted upon it. Here am I, she said, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones translates Mary's response and puts it so simply. Whatever God says, I will do. Of course, sometimes we don't know what God is saying or we get it wrong. And at other times, we, we face delays or course corrections. Visitations from angels are very rare in the Bible. And yet God reveals himself in so many ways. As we read in the book of Hebrews, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Well, our Old Testament reading this morning illustrates one of those ways from long ago when God did speak through one of the prophets, through his prophet Nathan. King David was all set with his plans. He had found favor with God, and he was determined to help God. David was all settled in his house where he lived, but the ark of God was in a tent. So David set his mind on building a place for God, building a grand temple, and it was to be the mother of all building projects. He would prepare a place for God. As an aside, it is a little ironic that just yesterday we erected a tent on the snow so we can worship together outside um, because of the pandemic, while here we are this morning uh, broadcasting from inside a rather splendid building. Anyway, back to our Old Testament scripture. At first, it's very interesting, the prophet is really quite taken with David's plans, and he's, he's all gung-ho about it. He says in verse 3, Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Terrific. But then, the next verse, 
that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And God basically pulled the plug on the whole thing, at least for David. God said no to David's plans. A house was going to be built for God, a fantastic house. It was, but it was to be David's son Solomon who would build it, not David. When God says no, it can be as challenging to hear and obey as when he says, yes, go for it. There are times when our plans to do something for God don't coincide with God's plans. Eugene Peterson uh, comments on this passage from 2 Samuel, and I want to read to you an extract of what he says. He says this, There are times when our grand human plans to do something for God are seen after a night in prayer to be a huge distraction for what God is doing for us. That's what Nathan realized that night. God showed Nathan that David's building plans for God would interfere with God's building plans for David. God's word to David through Nathan was essentially this. You want to build a house? Forget it. I'm going to build you a house. The kingdom that I am shaping here isn't what you do for me, but what I do through you. The hero of the day would not be David, but God himself. The people needed to be pointed to God, who was the ultimate sovereign, not King David. Now, David's intentions were good. He wanted to prepare room for God. But God had something bigger in mind. And for us, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are called to prepare room for King Jesus. Mary literally prepared room for Jesus. For nine months, her womb was the place where Jesus would live. And likewise, we today are called to prepare him room. As we sang earlier, prepare him room, prepare him room. Let the king of glory enter in. Here again, some of those lyrics. God with us, the promise has come to be. This the one the prophets were longing to see. In the darkness a blazing light, to the hungry the words of life. His kingdom now is near for those with ears to hear. Prepare him room. Let the king of glory enter in. I feel sure that Mary felt wholly inadequate, ill-prepared, unworthy, and unfit to be the mother of Jesus. How could she not? The whole idea seemed too hard, too terrifying, too impossible. How could she prepare him a room? But as the angel reminded Mary, nothing is impossible with God. God is able to make possible that which without him is impossible. God is able to transform lives. He's able to release people from their fears, guilt, shame, addiction, from whatever it may be that has them trapped. Our God is a God of miracles. Nothing is impossible for God. While miracles, by definition, are out of the ordinary, 
in many ways, they're not as rare as we might suppose. After all, is it not a remarkable and miraculous thing that the God we worship today is the God who knows us, who loves us, and was born for us? Is it not a miracle that God bestows his favor on us and calls us to trust him, to follow him and serve him? Whatever Mary thought or felt or feared, that day the angel came. In the face of that miraculous visitation, promise, and the conception of a child, Mary's response is surely such an inspiration and profound challenge for all of us today. Whereas so often I suspect we may pray in order to try and change God's will, Mary prayed in such a way that she simply offered herself in service to God's will. Instead of, thy will be changed, Mary prayed, thy will be done. Well, I want to wrap up with some questions for us to ponder. First, will you accept the favor that God wants to bestow upon you? And as you reflect on that, will you prepare him room? Will you let the King of glory enter in? Second, will you complete your journey to Christmas so that with Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, you too may kneel before the Word made flesh, full of grace and truth. Today, hear his voice, receive his love, ask for his cleansing, accept his forgiveness. How will you respond? May we, like King David, be prepared to set aside our plans for God's. And with Mary, may we have the courage and the faith to say, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or simply, whatever God says, I will do. Amen.